0: Damn! What's the English term for it, Jam? You have to cut this out, anyways. So, uh, <laughs> did not I tell you it just I'm not let it run? Any of, this. of course you do. I'm,
1: not, I'm, I'm, I'm letting the tape run. Now he's, doing,
0: now he's doing power plays. He, now he's he does that all man. the time, all wow. the time. Wow!
1: Well, I'm doing power plays. That's what. That's exactly what we call it. Doing power plays. What's your plays. power play? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Welcome to the What's Your Baseline podcast. In this show, we talk about our experiences and lessons learned in enterprise architecture and business process management. What's Your Baseline is designed to be for everyone, newbies who are just getting started with these topics, organizations who want to improve their EA and BPM groups and the value they get from it as well as practitioners who want to get a different perspective and care about the discipline. Each episode will tackle different key
1: topics, providing context, background, best practices, and stories from the road, inviting you to learn from our challenges and successes, and demonstrating key tools to help you set up your practice and get the most out
0: of it. I'm your host, Roland Volt, and I'm joined today by my co-host, J.M. Erlinson. Hey, J.M., how are you doing today?
1: i'm doing great roland we were just reminiscing about the days of counting down from six the recording software we use used to give us a count in and uh, that's changed roland and
0: i'll tell you i don't like the change that's true that's true yeah it also says have you combed your hair right before you get oh, ready, wow. which is a little bit wow. insulting, right? At least for yeah, some of it's us. It's insulting to both of us.
1: Yeah. Well, to you, <laughs> yes. And to me, no, I haven't combed my hair. My hair just naturally looks messy, and it's never going to be combed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but speaking of, That's okay. speaking of which, you with combed hair would be a huge change. Wow! Yeah. Would you would you like
1: would you like that? Would you would you encourage me to take to take that behavior and go to the outcome you desire? We well, are not gonna get it. I'm gonna fight you to the death. I don't know <laughs> yet, man. I
0: don't know because um, I think what we need is some professional help on that topic. I think we need professional and help it, too. Well, we need professional help for other things too, <laughs> but I think we have some professional help for the topic of organizational change management on the show today. Absolutely. Do we? We do, and today's guest, Jehan Adam, is coming
1: to us with a wonderful experience in organizational change management. Jehan, welcome to What's Your Baseline?
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Yay! I'm so excited to hear Jehan and I go way back to our days in management consulting together. Yes, it's been more than a decade of, of hanging out and chatting about things and watching you do really cool stuff that seems incredibly hard,
0: but... Somehow you make it work, which is organizational change. And, and Jahan, uh, just to have it said, in opposites to JM, you don't look a day older. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. Time has not been kind.
1: Time has not been kind. But that's how you know. Listen, we, what we can do is we can be we can be kind on the show today, and we can help explain what what, you know, what we do with organizational change management. And Jehan, you can contribute your experience and background, and we're, we're really going to get into it today talking about practice, talking about you know, the things you should be thinking about, but before we get there, I think our audience would love to know you as much as we've gotten to know you or I've gotten to know you over these many things. So talk to us about uh, who you are, what you do today, uh, and how you got to what you do right now.
2: Sure. Uh, thank you for having me. So who I am, my name is Jahan Adam. I have been working in organizational change management. For uh, over 15 years, I've been at this for for quite a while. Uh, Prior to that, I was an HR business partner, and I've always been really focused on helping people get to where they need to be. It isn't necessarily only about where you want to be and how you want to grow, but where you need to be so that you can actually take that next step. And that's really been the focus of my career. I do spend some time thinking about uh, team building as well as uh, team effectiveness and um, emotional intelligence. Um, It feels like I'm doing everything. So I'm I'm just explaining that I try to spend some time focusing in all of these areas so that I can be the leader that I want to be and help others to be servant leaders and coach people so that they can actually make the most of what they want of their careers and their lives
1: that's wonderful and and I think it's it's fitting that when you're people focused then you've learned the tools you need to help turn that people focus into the right kind of action absolutely and particularly response to action that itself is is building on what you're trying to do, do with the organization
2: that's exactly why change is a really good fit for me because it's all about making sure that they get there in the least painful way possible
0: so that is interesting because typically but well, I don't know if it's typical. Most likely it won't be as smooth, right? But it's interesting, uh, before we get started, obviously we want the audience to get to know you a little bit better, right? So how did you get to this topic? You know, some people call it esoteric and some people call it, um, I don't know, crucial, right? As I would say, you know, because it's, it's the biggest chance that we have is changing people. But obviously, how do you get in that career?
2: for me getting into this career was really about getting people to where they need to be. Like, and I know it sounds like I'm being repetitive on that, but with the difficulty in going through change, it's how do you remove barriers? How can you be strategic and achieve your aims as quickly, as effectively and efficiently as possible while also recognizing that people are actually at the root of all of this. You can Mm -hmm. make any change you want and, if you don't bring the people along, it's a very expensive um, price tag for something that doesn't work.
0: Yeah, agreed. And I, I said it multiple times on the show. You know, you can't put as many wallpapers on the wall that you want, you know, your processes and stuff. And as many black boxes in your basement uh, that, that are cabled up, you yeah. know, if the person behind the screen doesn't want to do it, they won't. Right, And, and then you fail.
2: Absolutely. So helping them to get the barriers out of the way so that they can actually achieve it is really helpful to me. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's giving them a different perspective. Sometimes it's helping them to understand the, the larger why. And when I say why you may not actually want to do it. You may just have to do it for things like regulations or um, company direction. Um, sometimes you get to the point where you have the conversation is, do you really want to be here? because the way it's going to be by being here is the way that we're moving. If that yeah. doesn't work for you, how can we help you to make your decision as effectively, efficiently and pain-free as possible for you? But that doesn't mean you get to decide for everyone else.
1: Yeah, I think that the the what I've seen a lot of organizations who do this well talk about is they, they talk about trust in the people. Like people want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so your job is to help them do the right thing for themselves and for the organization. And where that overlaps is that sweet spot of you know, alignment, right? If they don't want to, they want to do the right thing, but that thing isn't what you need them to do. That's also an, something you need to acknowledge because that mismatch is going to sit as, you know, the the burden on their back for, for as long as they're with the organization, they're not doing what they want but they're doing what you want and that's not sustainable
2: it's not sustainable but it's also something to keep in mind so sometimes you're making changes for the organization and if you can understand the greater why behind it whether you want to do it or not you will probably do it begrudgingly or actually just do it because it's what you have to do um not understanding that Or speaking to it in a way that doesn't actually reflect what it actually is, is also very dangerous. I remember once I did a change where we wanted to tell them that the new system was easier, faster, simpler. But we had actually put a great deal of uh, regulations in there to make it harder, slower, and far more tedious.
1: Hmm.
2: And they still wanted me to send out the communications and frame it and and sell it as easier, faster, smarter. And I'm like, we've got really smart people who work here. We can't say that. Yeah. And part of change management, I really think, is about being able to stand behind what you believe and share your information and speak truth to power so that you can help them to make the right decisions for what they're putting out there
1: it seems to me like there's such a risk of credibility loss like change management you're standing on your good word mm-hmm. and you're standing on your relationships and not that there are other parts of the organization other jobs that don't require those things but it feels like that's the first part through the door and i know an act and they talk about what part of the body do you lead when you walk with it feels like change management you lead with credibility
2: yes your your credibility your reputation is everything um you really can't do it more than you can't lose it more than once
0: but that is that is you in the role as the change agent right i think org change management starts way earlier and you alluded a little bit into that direction because i think it starts with a why right to me yes. as i refer to the to the last episode where we spoke with dan about strategy and how do you implement strategy and and how quickly you can lose momentum Right, because yes. somebody doesn't want to do what they're supposed to do or should do or want to do. Well, guess what, right? So how do you or, or can you talk about what the, the different points are that you look when you have a greenfield situation? What would be your, your whatever, four, five, six, ten, whatever the number is of things that somebody who gets challenged with that exercise should have a look at?
2: Sure. Um, the way that I think about it is, let's think about what you're actually trying to change. Also what you're not trying to change. What's staying the same? What will be consistent? Why are you making this change? So that why piece is incredibly important. And we've mentioned that before. But mm-hmm. also, who is actually impacted by what you're doing or affected by it? And when will that happen for them? What does it mean for them? Right. And then how are we actually making this change come about? Those are the the first few questions that I like to keep in mind when I'm bringing about a change. So when I'm speaking with leadership or I'm speaking with the people who are sponsoring the change, that's what I really want to know from them. Have you thought all of this through? And if you have helped me so that we can plan for all the people that will be impacted by it.
1: So I'm hearing that this is the who, what, when, where, why kind of like combination of questions. And, and we've talked about these, these sort of five wise questions on an other contexts as well. My, one of the things that I hear a lot with who, and I, and obviously this is going to be a, a big topic where that's going to, that's, this, this episode is focused around mm-hmm. is, um, representing for, or being outraged on behalf of changed peoples and the white knight syndrome is real. I mean, I think we can all agree on that. What, what is your approach? Uh, and how do you think about the spheres of influence of change? So people being directly affected, people knowing people who are affected, people knowing of change that is happening to people they do not know.
2: The more you figure out in advance, the more you ask questions, the more you ask strategic questions, the more you know, the more you know, the more Mm. either comfortable or um, you are or you get to decide what you want to do about it. So changes can affect people in tons of ways. Like, are we affecting somebody's job? Are we affecting the tools that they use? Are we asking them to do or act in a different way? Are we affecting them because they have too much change going on all at the same time? Are there other initiatives that are going on that they need to split their focus on top of do their job? Um, Uh Are there any rules and policies that are going to be changing for them? And are there other stakeholders that we haven't even thought about? are there upstream and downstream impacts that we're not really thinking about because we're not thinking about the overarching giant picture versus the mm. immediacy of what we're thinking about front of mind and top of mind.
1: So it looks like you're assembling you know, in this sort of first thinking portion a very large map of, of people who should care. Yeah, I,
2: you could look at it as a, as a stakeholder impact mm-hmm. assessment. I'm talking at a high level about yeah. Yeah. what does this mean? Who is affected? How? Like it's all your W's, but it's also what does it actually mean for them? And are you making an assumption or is it as bad as you think it is or as good as you think it is? Are they happy about this change? Are they thinking about it in a way that it's actually a perceived threat all of this impacts how you would approach your stakeholders.
0: I think the, the biggest challenge is, and, and that might be because I've worked in this as a consultant, and you're always the external person who comes in, you know, and there's somebody who picks up the bill. So that person is obviously the number one customer. And, and what he or she says is is the golden rule. But I think it's it's interesting to figure out who you have to talk to before you actually talk about the subjects of change right Mm -hmm. and and I've done that in the past and and the outcome were endless lists and spreadsheets and stuff where we captured all that information and one thing that I noticed is there is no uniform messaging you know everybody has their own little interest and and their own means of communication and ways of communication and, and whatnot and that can lead to a situation where you as the external person have to bring the bad news and say, Hey guys, you're not aligned. You know, what do you really want? Yeah. And, and have you
2: had similar experiences? Absolutely. Um, This is when I mentioned speaking truth to power is really important. Your change person is working for your um, sponsor. Yes. The Mm -hmm. person with the money and the big bags and who Mm -hmm. wants you to do all of this. But I've also spoken to sponsors and say, look, we're going to be working closely together. I'm going to bring things to you so that you can actually evaluate them. Tell me if the risk is worth it. I'm bringing the risk to you. But also... Have you thought about what it means for your different segments that are going through? Mm -hmm. So for example, your executives are going to have a different view of this than your implementation teams who are going to have a different view of this than the managers of the frontline staff who are probably most impacted and affected. Um, And then you've got the actual staff who are going through it in many cases. Um, So we really want to make sure that we're tailoring the message as much as possible. It's not a one and done by any stretch of the imagination. How much do you want to engage them? how successful do you want this to be? And it's not just like communication or training only. It's how are we engaging? How are we going to make sure that people are being set up to succeed and practice if it's a new system, for example, or how do we make sure that we make the change stick? Let's talk about Mm -hmm. all of this so that we can work together you to ultimately achieve your
0: goal and and uh, obviously the the ultimate question like that everybody has will I lose my job you know how do we reorganize what does that mean because that is I think the underlying fear that everybody has oh they bring in those high-paid consultants or whatever right and and they (laughs) uh, I need to watch the up in the air movie with George Clooney again but anyway so they bring in those guys and uh they just say oh you're fired. Right. And I think that's yeah. that's one of the biggest fears that, that I've seen in people, even though nobody means any bad things, you know, they, no. they really want to have the good, the good result.
2: They do. And I think the other side of am I going to lose my job? Or what does this mean for me? Or the, what's in it for me? Is mm-hmm. what am I actually potentially gaining out of this change? Am I getting more time? Am I getting more work? Because that could also be a threat. Um, yeah. It's understanding what it genuinely means for that person. And that's why highlighting what stays the same is also really helpful as well.
0: I, I agree. And I have a little detour because we're sure. currently going through that exercise in, in our organization, not in the context of change, but there's a concept called value proposition design. Have you heard about that? Oh, I see her nodding. Good. Yeah, that, that's exactly oh, yeah. the exercise that you should do. You know, what's yeah. the job? What's the pain? What's the gain? Yes. Right? And then obviously you have the corresponding things on, on the other side for this. Yeah, I, I thought that is a very neat concept.
1: The question I, I have for you about this, and I think we're, we're still sort of in this in this why framework here, is as a professional uh, in change management, you obviously come with your experiences, um, what you've seen before, what motivations you've discovered in previous research, your biases. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you approach correcting that versus how do you hold those previous experiences as a reference template for this company? So for instance, you work with company X and a big fear there was in losing their job. That was like the number one fear, like, you know, Roland said, and you code a company Y, how much do you say, okay, I think this, the same fear exists here. And, or how much do you say, I can't make that assumption. I must interview people. And if so, what is that fact finding process? look like? Mm-hmm. What, uh, what? Where do you go? And how do you synthesize that information into something that's useful to update your paradigm? Sure.
2: Um, I really try to meet people where they are. I consciously make an effort to meet people where they are all the time. I uh, can't always do it every minute of every day. Obviously, there's the ladder of inference. I will jump right up that ladder with anybody else if I don't watch myself. But what I'd say is, When I go into a new project, a new um, company, a new anything, I like to listen. So I have two very large ears and um, I try to think that I should be listening at least twice as much as I speak. So the first couple of weeks, months, depending on how much time my engagement is, it's really about listening in and trying to get some clarity, asking questions of the people who are experts in what they're doing. And also asking questions that might seem dumb. Because as much as the experts know everything that's going on, they can't look at it with a beginner's mind. So I'm one of the only people who can.
1: And how much do you get away with or are given the, I suppose, the rope with from senior executives to do this kind of? time-consuming exercise i mean i feel like there's a lot of people who really want to see change let's go let's make it happen you have to slow them down i would assume to be to be able to do this research what what do you say to them
2: so i take what they've already done so i'll look at their processes i'll look at the documentation and i'll talk to them and say look there's some things that i can glean from what you've shared there's some things i'd like to delve a little deeper on um Let's make sure that we are in agreement and we are understanding what the process is and how it works. We'll still need to do something like a, an in-depth stakeholder impact assessment, but I'll do a cursory look. I'll take that first glance and say, we're going to update this as we go. So I look at a stakeholder impact assessment or change impact assessment, depending on how you want to look at it, um, and say, like, this is a living, breathing document. It's going to change. What it says today isn't necessarily what it's going to say as we go through the program or the project and as we uncover more. It isn't finished. It isn't closed until end of job, which means it can change up until the day before. We can add new stakeholders that we didn't think about, but thank goodness we catch them before we go live or after we go live in some cases. Um, We're going to look at what this means. And if you're changing something in requirements and you're not talking to me about it, it might actually impact what we have to do as a result later on. So let's keep each other in the loop. And if that works for you, great. If that doesn't work for you, you may even want to consider how you're doing this and what your success factors are. Because if you're measuring my success on my ability to tailor what I need to do for your teams, then great. But if you just need me to get it out the door, let me know that too, because then we can yeah. have that conversation.
0: That, that makes perfect sense. And, and before we head into the break, I have one more question for you, sure. uh, because I think, as you know, our structure is we have the why and the how in our two segments. Um, I think we haven't spoken about why change management at all. And and I don't want to have this add to our Uh, answer on this because i I know you and i could talk about this forever but i think that's that's a big question that we would need to answer before jm brings us into the mini break and we talk about the how in more detail but why should people actually do this why don't they just go and say hey we implement this new system or we cut so and so many positions or "We, we we just do the change right what is your experience on on that and how does that go in reality
2: why change management at all is one of those questions that in some uh, places and programs, you are like, you didn't want this. You just did it because you had to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but why change management at all? Do you want it to be successful or do you want to say that success is launching? Is it launching or using the new system? Is it um. operating in a new way with a new set of behaviors and beliefs? Or is it just saying that you have implemented something? And that's okay, but let's understand what success really means.
0: Well, you could you could have one of those Roman slave ships and somebody with a whip, you know, uh you beating the crap out of out of people and they row until they fall from their bench, you know? You could do that too.
2: Yeah, you could, but you shouldn't engage me because I'm not going to help you with that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I think there are lots
1: of examples of those things happening in perhaps today's tech market, and perhaps those things are not working. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that uh, <laughs> we've got you on the show to talk a little bit more in the next section on how we might actually start engaging with, with change management first. Principles of of organizational transformation. Um, so, before we go to there and we get to the how, we've got a couple questions for our audience to think about as we take a brief musical break. Uh, first, is t- t- talk about your experiences. What, what are your experiences with change in your organization? Um, where have you seen change work really well, and where have you seen the organization and yourself struggle with change? And given those struggles and successes what do you think you might do differently or think about differently the next time that you have a larger change and a larger change to plan? We'll leave you for a moment and come back with our second section, the how.
0: Welcome back to the second segment of this show. And as always, we're going to talk about the how. You know, We spoke about the why and what are the different components of org change management. And, and now, Jehan, we're obviously super curious about, well, how do I pull this off? You know, What do I do first? And what's my next step? And, and whatever. And I, I remember I seen a nice cartoon. I need to see if I can find it. It was like, how to jujitsu a bear. Right, and you saw a couple of frames, and it's like you jump on the back, and then you you cut uh, you you uh, go to the throat and whatnot. You know, it was like seven steps, and the last was like, "Oh no, just kidding!" You know, you died somewhere around step two. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely, that makes perfect sense. Uh, yep. <laughs> a
0: Little
1: German humor there for you.
0: No, but in all seriousness, so so uh,
2: yeah. how do how
0: do you approach this? You know, for somebody in our listenership who hasn't done a change management project, you know, and and whatever might be fresh from university and is a freshly graduated engineer and thinks technology saves the world, you know, and then steps into that, into that not so black and white world of corporate um, citizenship and and all the stuff. So, so where do you start?
2: I'm going to start with the scary thing, talking to people. So, um, (laughs) You want to How make, dare you? I know, but that's actually what you need to do. It's mm-hmm. engaging your stakeholders and assess what it actually means for them. So it's that who, what, when, where, why. But also all those things I talked about before, like the roles. Are you affecting their role? Are you affecting their tools? All of that. You have to find out what it means for them. How do you figure that out? How do you figure out who to talk to? Well, you start with your sponsor. You find out who they're doing this change for. And then you start talking to that person and then they tell you who else is impacted by the change. And -hmm. then you go speak to them and they tell you, hey, but, you know, we use this system. So then you go and talk to the owners of that system and everybody that uses that system. And you find that you'll speak to a lot more people than are directly impacted but mm-hmm. then you can create yourself all sorts of things like stakeholder mass where you've got your directly impacted, your indirectly impact. What are the suppliers of what you're doing? Who are the mm-hmm. customers of what you're doing? Who are the approvers of what you're doing? Like all of those things have to be taken into account. And then you have to talk to a lot of people.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I think I mentioned it on a previous episode, but I'm happy to put it in the show notes. Again, there's a concept called NetMap. I don't know if you've heard about this, which is the stakeholder mapping, something that you should never show your client um, and say, okay, how is it? How are they really (laughs) wired up? You know, and I think that's that's a very interesting exercise. Again, don't do it on a whiteboard. Right. Because sometimes people stumble into the room uh, on this. But I think it's very helpful to get an understanding about this.
2: I'd also make it a locked document. (laughs) depending on how many opinions you put in there.
1: <laughs> well, it, it sounds like you're, you're you're taking, first and foremost, your sponsor's word mm-hmm. that they have done some of this work up front to try and understand the scope of the project. But then it's trust but verify, right? And you're yeah. going and saying, well, is, it, is, it, is there more that you're not considering? Can I use my previous experience to see how this might fit? Well, you
2: also want to look at it from the executive's point of view. They're going to see it for what it means right. for them. And they're looking at it quite often from the 50,000-foot view. And what it means for them is usually much more about the benefits than the costs immediately to all the levels of people that work on their team. It doesn't mean that they don't think about it. It just means that it's probably not top of mind for them. And what's been sold to them is being sold primarily by benefits. Um, Then you find out, well, what does this actually mean overarchingly? The good, the bad, and the in-between to find out what it means for all of the other stakeholders, including, but we can't forget them, the people who lead the people who are going to be using said new tool, system, right.
1: demonstrating behaviors,
2: right? Yeah. Um, you also want to be talking to if it's in organizational change where you're actually changing um a group's organization and how they report and who they report to you want to be making sure that their hr support is also available and informed and brought into the loop like there's a lot to think about beyond um just what we're trying to achieve the how and the when and all of that comes into play so you really have to think about all of it and then get beyond that fifty thousand foot view let's go to the people who are actually going to implement the change what does it mean for them How are they going to do it and what are they going to do versus what aren't they going to do because they either have time, budget, other constraints that might be coming into it. So you can think about all the other potential um, unexpected impacts.
1: Yeah, I I wanted to, to bring this up because you said the word and I know you have experience as an HR business partner. But there is sometimes a tumultuous relationship between rank and file yes. and HR. Yes. And I think it's an, a, an oft misunderstood relationship. <laughs> when you're talking about bringing HR into the conversation around change, how do you frame it? And I know this is very a really technical how question on change okay. management. How do you frame it for your end users that HR is in some capacity, an advocate for them rather than what it's often seen at, which, which is an advocate for the company first.
2: So HR doesn't have to be human remains first and foremost. <laughs> um, wow. As a former <sighs> HR person, I can say that. Um, oh yeah. I understand that HR are people who are there to support the company, but they're also there to support the company being successful. So they want to make sure that their people are happy, healthy, not complaining, not upset. So if they are asked questions, they need to be able to support it. It's not about pulling the wool over your eyes. It's about making sure that we've thought about and addressed what might be areas that are more controversial, right? And it may be HR, it may be something else. It's really just making sure that we've thought through what the questions and answers might be so that they can support the program, they can support the change, um, and also mm-hmm. support the employees and the managers who have to lead those employers, employees. sorry.
1: Right. What, what kind of um, perspectives, skills, and information would HR have that would be different from a normal part of the change management team that they would be specifically useful.
2: So HR and change management are not the same. There are some, quite often we have change managers who are in HR. We have change managers who function um, and who are reporting in through HR as well, depending on the organization. But your human resources business partner is there to help you with what's going on with you in your career and in your work. Change management is there to help you with what's going on in a particular project, in a particular change, in a very specific, ideally finite piece of time, finite piece of influence. They're not trying to be there for all things. If you go to your HR business partner and ask them a question about a change that affects you in your job, they should be equipped to answer it. They will not necessarily... Be the person who's driving that change. Ideally, they won't be, but they could be supporting it.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen that to be quite honest. So I'm, I'm a little bit less idealistic <laughs> there. I could I've seen HR being involved when it came to organizational design, yes, right uh, on this because they are the guys who say, oh, we can't afford this, you know, um, whatever, you know, these type of things. And I've seen them uh, playing a role when it came to negotiations with unions. Yes but for those who live outside of the United States, that's a thing that still exists and um, you know having oh having these type of conversations, I have never seen them being a part of a change program. when you when you think about training and communication and and uh, tracking how successful your change was and all these things.
2: No they're not involved in that. The only time I would say that they may be a bit more involved is in the area of a merger and acquisition. So there's actual HR work that has to happen in that yeah. kind of a change, but they're not usually in typical changes unless it's specific in a very specific portion.
0: But but then there are uh, the stakeholder, right? Like a system implementer is a stakeholder in in implementing new technology. Mm-hmm. You know? In this case, it would be, I hate to say that, removing redundancies that are caused by the mergers. You know, everybody knows Lisa from accounting gets fired and Jim from marketing gets uh, fired because you just need so many. But that's yeah. beside the point, right? What I want to ask you is obviously um, a big part of change management is telling a story. Yes. Right. So, So you figured out where should the journey go right? You know, your stakeholders, because you've mapped them out, and they've never seen it. Um, and now you have to address the messaging, right? So how do you come up with a compelling story? How do you decide how to communicate? And and when it comes to the practical terms, what were successful things, how you've executed communication?
2: Sure. Um, I'm going to lump communication and engagement together. Mm-hmm. And because I think that they so. absolutely go hand in hand, how you communicate to your executives is very different than how you can e- communicate to your um, frontline managers and your frontline staff. You have to tailor your message to make sure that you're really thinking about the what's in it for me or the WIFM mm-hmm. um, for each group. That being said, you also want to make sure that you have your key messages um, shared and and mapped out. And you want to make sure that you provide anybody who's representing your your change with a set of messages that will help them to all sing from the same song sheet. Because Mm -hmm. you want to be consistent in what you speak um, about a particular change. Now, what I have done in the past, has varied depending on the organization and depending on the change. Some of it, you can start with teasers and something that's really fun. Uh, Depending on the change, if something's more regulatory or we're trying to save money, it's a very different message than, hey, Mm -hmm. this is going to make your life a million times better. But there's some things to keep in mind and there are some different modes that are available to you. Like we can do things like, create videos with um, your colleagues about a particular change if you want to do it in a fun and and engaging way. I had an executive once who said, you know what, Jahan, I just want you to make this feel different than any other change we've ever been through. So it doesn't feel like same old, same old. So -hmm. when you get that kind of leeway, you get to bring in your creativity. And when you get to bring in your creativity, that's when you really get to play. However, it all depends on what you're trying to convey. And I know that I'm giving you the answer is it depends, but (laughs) it's very much dependent on what you're trying to do. Yeah. Which,
0: which per se is a good consulting answer. I do that for over 25 years now. So it's it's all good. But when we go to the practical uh, hands-on stuff, so what I've done in the past and and Mm -hmm. I'm curious how you do this is I create a document that lines out the change strategy right because what do you want you define the place where you are you define the place where you want to be and then you define the steps how to get from a right. to B, right and, and how do you track this so I, I typically put that in um and then i have actually a second document which is the communication strategy where which has those messages and feedback loops and all that type of stuff on it yes and right and, and before you answer to that I like to pick on the, the little video thing that you just said. So I worked for for that little, small, big four auditing firm yeah, for a couple of years. And they showed when in, in the new employee orientation session, they, they showed a video of people running around. And I spent seven years there. And I never figured out, do they run towards something or do they run away from something? So that was one yeah. of the videos. And we always made fun. That was one of the videos where I thought, oh, man, they spent money for nothing. <laughs> I think with the
1: start of your tenure of the company you're running towards it and by the end you're running away it's like one of those spinning things you can't tell what direction it's going <laughs> seven years I
0: couldn't figure it out you know and nobody explained it to me
1: all right well so so the, this is this is another question about for for this you know in very practical terms how do you set up um, what you need for a successful adoption. And I, I know that this is going to be both org change, but I mean, also big technology change, yes. practice changes. How, how do you set yourself up for success for that successful ad- adoption as you're going through the change process? Right.
2: Um, so when I spoke to you before about engaging impacted stakeholders, you use that to build a change strategy as well as a communication strategy, a training set strategy, as well as a readiness strategy plan and a sustainment plan, or after you go live, you want to make sure that you actually make it real. By going through all of those steps, you prepare all of the work to get you ready for adoption. You continually speak to your stakeholders. It is never a one and done. When I say that your impact assessment is a living, breathing document, you go back to it and you keep updating it with those stakeholders. By engaging with them regularly, you build the trust and the credibility to make sure that they will tell you when something is actually affecting them or impacting them. And you can adjust your plans accordingly. So with that, you then start getting ready for adoption. What do you need to do to help all of your different uh, audiences be ready prior to launching your change? You need to make sure that they have all the communications that they need, that they've been engaged in every way that they need to be, that they've been trained and not only just, sat through training once, but they've been trained and if they need to use this new system, that they're ready to be competent and confident in that new system. And yeah. if we don't have those things, what are we going to do to sustain it beyond that so that you can actually be ultimately successful? Will you have ongoing training touchbacks? Will you talk about your success stories? How are we going to manage adoption? How are we going to know that we have adoption? So it's really taking a look at the measurements that you want to be following as well and ensuring that, you've thought through all the things that could possibly also go around. Not not saying that you want to be like that little um, dark rain cloud running around all the time saying, oh my God, the sky is falling or anything like that. <laughs> but you want to be ready for something going slightly askew so that you can adjust accordingly.
0: But Jehan, this costs, how many people do you want to employ here? This costs so much. My little project, wow. so for that money, I could develop seven <laughs> more features. You know. You could. Why should I good you why should I give you the money? You know I do not I d I don't I don't see that, you know. It, explain it to me.
2: So the value in change management is quite often overlooked because the only time you talk to change management is when something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. You will blame us for not doing our job, but if we do our jobs well, it will be seamless. And it's like we just go poof. Um, it's like we were never there and we're behind the scenes, we're making sure that everything's happening. This is why I keep going back to. What is your parameters and what are your um, success measures? Because if you want to be successful and you want people adopting the change, I'd put some time and effort into change management. It doesn't mean that you have to give them a Bentley, but mm-hmm. you may want to go a little further than a bicycle.
1: Yeah, and I have a question for you about this, because you've been talking about what we need to do, what we need to do. Well, tell me, okay, what would you like people to do? So- If you're a change manager coming into an organization, experiencing any sort of change, what is the ideal scenario and the ideal behavior of leadership who's bringing you in? And what is the ideal behavior of the rank and file and defected people and their managers as you go through the process? Tell me about, like, if you could ask people to do you a favor in the future, what's that behavior look like? Show
2: up like a leader of change. So as a change manager, I am there to help you plan, execute, and ultimately reach your goal. However, I am not the leader of the change. You do not say, hey, Jayhan, you take this and run. I need you to be there. I need you to be leading. I need you to be sharing information, both good and bad. Um, Understand what's going on and actually engage with your people and also be visibly supportive of what you're trying to bring across from a leadership point of view from a rank and file point of view. I'll speak to it in two ways. I'll speak to it first as the frontline manager of those going through the change. I need you to be informed. I need you to support the change and I need you to not bash it behind the ultimate leaders back. I need you to be there and supportive and help to answer questions that your people might have. And if you don't know the answer, then you work with those who are trying to make this change so that you can answer it. Like again, speaking from that same song sheet while also Mm -hmm. tailoring the message to the people that are asking the questions so that they understand what it really means and ultimately the benefits of what we're trying to achieve. From an employee's point of view, I'd like you to be open. I'd like you to be thinking about what this means for the organization, what this means for you. And also, again, come back to the why, why are we doing this? Yes. It's a little bit painful sometimes to do your expense reports in a different way as an example, but if it's going to help us to pay out our everybody's expenses faster, more efficiently, more effectively, and also reduce theft from the organization yeah, it's worthwhile to do.
1: And I mean, I guess there's a little bit of element there of trust that that this wouldn't be yes. happening if somebody didn't think this was important and that somebody had a lot of other people also say yes. None of these changes that are coming through are ever really single threaded. Mm-hmm. There is a strategic context behind the change. And so it sounds like you're seeing people who need to actually be leaders and lead the change. You want people who are supportive of the change and well-informed, and you want people who are open to listening about the change and open to trying and figuring out how they fit into that change.
2: I'd, I'd also add one more in there. Um, if your change is large and is taking a, a lot of time or you're actually that important that you want to set up a... Um, champions network or agents, a change agents network, where you have people who are very highly respected in rank and file and who will ask good questions and continue to challenge as we go through. Like they don't always have to be supporters of the change. They just need to be open-minded and ask good questions so that they can understand what the answers to those questions are. Um, Those champions or change agents, if you want to call them that, are also quite important to uh, achieving a change. And they are not always your managers. They are not always the people who have positional power, but they are the people who have respect and um, credibility with their colleagues and teams. And I'm okay if some of those people are people who are somewhat resistant to a change because your your converted cynic is quite often your biggest champion.
0: Yeah, I'm so happy that you mentioned that because, yes, a big part of change management in my mind is also setting up structures, right? And um, have your friends close and have your enemies closer is is always a good strategy of it. But I want to be also a little bit cautious of the time that we are here, even though I, I love our conversation. Uh, maybe we we not that I want to shortcut it, but maybe we can go through uh, the other side in very quickly. You know, like a like a shoot and fire thing what do you think, what are the most common mistakes that organizations or people do when it comes to change management?
2: Sure. Um, Not really getting to the bottom of what the change actually is for your Mm -hmm. stakeholders. In many cases, I've seen things go sideways because we've made assumptions of what the change actually means. So, for example... If you say, hey, that's no impact, it's not a big deal, and you haven't actually validated with the individuals, that I think is a massive mistake that will bite you in um, the behind at the most inopportune time. Um, (laughs) The other thing to keep in aware of is not talking to your audience. So not understanding what the change means to them is, is another thing, but also finding out what their perception of it is. Is this the right time? If you're giving everything at the same time, are you allowing them to even be successful? Because mm-hmm. some people try to get it done for some, some organizations, depending on what's going on, different parts of the organization will try to all implement a cha- a change all by year end, by fiscal year end. They need to get it through. The problem is if they're all implementing at the same time, what does that actually mean? have they, thought about the change in terms of like the saturation for yeah. the end users. And what does that mean? And also not following up and sustaining the change. So putting something mm-hmm. in and then saying, okay, we're done. Yep. Um, that's problematic.
0: <laughs> yeah. I also I have worked in an organization and, and I felt a little bit sorry for them. Uh, they had good intentions uh, they awesome. hired a firm before us and went through a year of change. And then they hired us and we said, no, you know, what you what you intend to do is the wrong path. You know, you need to switch horses. And then we spent there about two years. And, and in year three, they just had transformation fatigue. You know, you really could tell that when you went into uh, workshops with them, you know, they were all business. And then when the workshop was over... It was like, really, they exhaled, and then they started to chat about other stuff and, and whatnot, you know, and you really could tell, yeah, they, they just held it together for that one hour that we were meeting, but actually that they, they were not really interested in. It. it was like, I'm done.
2: They told you how they really felt, or they told each other how they really fe- felt in the meeting after the meeting.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: The That is one of those things that you definitely have to keep an eye out for. And I, I appreciate you mentioning that. The other thing that is always very, very painful. Um, it's well-intentioned, but it's a mistake, is to ask people for their opinion and then not acknowledge it or not mm-hmm. take it into account.
1: Mm, that is bad. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Because you've asked them to put trust in you that that their word will matter. Yes. And if you don't, yeah, if you don't do anything about it, you let them down because that, that, was, that was the problem. You're better
2: off not even asking if you're going to do that.
1: So, so then... I want to bridge this into the next question because you mentioned that you've got big ears. Yes, but tell me a little bit more about if what does a good change management professional look like? What are their skills and background? What are their aptitudes? Um, what 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 are they their the worldviews and perspectives? What makes for a good change management professional? Because I'm I'm sure our audience on the line are thinking hmm, this sounds interesting to me. How how will they know that this is a good, a really good fit for who they are?
2: Sure. Uh, change management is not for people who want to be liked all the time. If you want everybody to love you, I don't think change management is for you. Uh, oh wow. That being said, I think that openness is incredibly important and an asset to you in change management. Asking good questions is also very, very helpful. I see. I stand by my big ears and, my, uh, and, and asking more, listening more than I speak. Um, I think that that always helps you to understand more, seeking to understand and then to be understood. Um, and also not just waiting for your turn to talk, because when you're doing that, you are not necessarily listening to what's not being said. Mm hmm. Ask the obvious questions too. So if you think that you're hearing something and that other people have the same question that you might have, speak up so that those people's questions are heard because you can get a clarification that you wouldn't otherwise get. Most people speak from their perspective and they're not necessarily thinking of this perspective of their audience.
0: Yeah, and then then there's another Uh, Characteristics that I've seen in in good change management people is they have a thick skin, right? Because when you when you go into there, you see all those real people. You know, we implement stuff, or we run stuff, or we're important, right? And you do the soft things. You know, who cares, right? So, so I think one of the characteristics is that, that you just know the value that you bring to the table as a change management person, and and don't let stupid ideas come into your mind and feel inferior or whatever.
2: Oh, they'll eat you alive.
0: Yeah, well, true. <laughs> no. true. But imagine you're a 20-something-year-old yeah. fresh from college, you know, and and you get assigned to your first project and you go into the lines. den. You know, that's, that's not a nice situation.
2: Which is why I said <laughs> if you want people to like you, uh, this yeah. might not be for you. Um, because it's, it's not easy. I remember I had, um, different managers at different organizations that I've been a consultant at who they've literally run away from me. And I'm like chasing them. I'm like, look, I need to talk to you. I understand that I am not your favorite person, but I am here to help you help me help you. Mm -hmm. And, um, those same individuals who had a great joy in, I won't call it resisting me, but I'll call it um, having a reaction to me that may not have been my initial hope, um, have been some of my greatest uh, converted cynics later on who have said, hey, um, anytime you want to work with me, I will bring you on because you stuck it out. You can't give up easily. And um, persistence, I think, and and tenacity would be really helpful in change management.
1: Wow, that that's a great segue to uh, I think the closing of this section and the the last piece of the show a summary and and our goodbyes. But until then we're going to take a couple of moments to listen to some music and in the meantime think about how have your perceptions our audience changed of change management and change managers? How have they changed through this conversation with Jihan and our advice and stories and and uh, interesting information about the kinds of people you'll find in change management? How can you change your approach to help better align the changes in your organization um, and ease the process for the folks who are affected by change and for the folks who are helping to shepherd that change? We'll come back in a moment after this brief break with our final thoughts and conclusions.
0: Welcome back. And um, in this section, oops, surprise, we have a third section. Uh, Jahan, we had that one question in the beginning of section two, right? Where we're saying, okay, what is the, the process that you go through? What are the steps that you do? And I think we didn't answer all of those Not steps. Not completely. Right? Yeah. So if you could enlighten us, that would be lovely.
2: Sure. So whether you're doing this in a project that would be, say, waterfall or a project that's agile, there's still some steps you need to follow when it comes to doing change management well, thoroughly, or um, as easily as possible. You really do want to start by engaging your impacted stakeholders and, and assess the impacts of what it is that you're trying to bring about. You would go ahead once you have more information and you've assessed it and thought it through, you'd want to be developing a change strategy or approach mm-hmm. so that you can think about what you need to do when to set this up to be successful. Um, what that will end up looking like um, includes how you want to engage with different people, what you need to share with them, when, as well as um, how do you want to set up launching what you want to do. You would build that into what we'd call a change management plan. So what do you want to do when
0: mm-hmm.
2: and how? And um, then you'd actually want to make sure that you're actually executing against that plan and still checking in with your stakeholders regularly to make sure that what you're doing is landing the way you want it to land being received in the way that you want it to be received and check in constantly so that you can find out if you have changes to your impacts because that happens over time sometimes and they don't always tell you what that means. And also just following up and making sure that you are assessing if you have other stakeholders upstream or downstream that you want to take into account and bring in and enable your champions network to support your change and bring in the different engagement tactics that you want to bring in for your leadership and for the people who are affected by the change. As you launch the change, you want to make sure that you're transitioning to make sure that it becomes business as usual for your team and that you are sustaining the change that you're putting in place. You have mm-hmm. to make sure that you're training people for what they need to do differently, if it's an actual different behavior that they, or a different tool that you want them to use. But you also want to make sure that if someone was away or didn't fully understand, or if they're doing things in a way that isn't quite as you expected it to be, that you're providing them with the knowledge and the ability to build the skills to do it in the way that you want. So you want to set them up to have it sustainable and make sure it's part of the new business. So are you put it, have you put it into the new business processes that you're actually now starting to follow or your standards, your standard operating procedures, you want to make sure that you're setting it up so that it can last And you just don't want to make it real. You want to make sure that it sticks. Mm
0: -hmm. That absolutely Mm. makes sense. Yes, yes, I fully agree. So thanks for clarifying this. Um, And and I hope that our listeners are still on the show at this point of the game. Um, Because I think the most important question is now that we listen to you and and your, your thoughtful ideas is how that's the only question that I have. How can I get into contact with Shehan to ask more questions about change management and and the wisdom that she shares freely with with every one of us?
2: You can reach me on LinkedIn.
0: Oh, well that's easy. Yeah, I'm <laughs> going to put I'm going to put a link in the show notes. So all good.
2: <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you.
0: Well, wonderful. And
1: and a huge thank you for coming on today. This was really exciting invigorating i mean that's i'll i'll give a little bit of behind the scenes folks there's a lot more that we that's going to be on the cutting room floor of really cool engaging discussion that we had mostly during the breaks so maybe we can have a live panel someday and we can do something really cool and have a a longer conversation but from what you have today folks hopefully you've really enjoyed it i've really enjoyed it so thank you so much for being on the show johanna really i'm really really excited to have you here and i'm really excited to put the episode out but also a huge thank you to our audience. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Please make sure to like, subscribe, share all the things you know. You know what to do. Um, we, we are, we've we surpassed a thousand followers. And we're really excited to keep growing. Keep growing with more of the amazing things at What's Your Baseline. And if you want to find out more about this specific episode and see all the show notes, you can go to whatsyourbaseline.com slash episode 41. But until the next one, friends, I've been J.M. Erlinson.
2: I'm Jahan Adam.
1: And my name is Roland Volt. And we will see you in the next one.